and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Kearns, your host for today. And today we're recording on the 1st of June, 2020. And we have Kieran Patel with us. Hi, Kieran. Hi there. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about venture finance and the lending climate in the current pandemic, I guess. So how things are looking, what, what has changed and what the climate is in general really how, how are people finding the you know le- lending opportunities at the moment so to start us off Kieran you wrote an article a about five years ago for the magazine and do you want to tell us a bit about your background and how you came from the sort of property investing world into the mortgage and brokering and uh, yeah, lending yeah. <laughs> yeah sure um well last when we wrote the article I think it was 2016 and we'd just relocated from London about 12 months prior to that. Um, so we we'd started flipping property in London, uh, more on a kind of amateur basis where we kind of moved moved from house to house, lived in the house, lived in the, in the, in the work and everything like that. Um, and then kind of created a bit of a pot for ourselves. And we moved up north to Sheffield um, to effectively um, grow a property portfolio. Um, so we were talking through how we were doing that, how we were working with investors, we were using the buy refurbish refinance model for our portfolio and working with investors for our flips um so yeah that was working well for us at the time and we were just kind of discussing our plans for the future um and four years on and uh, i think we've put most of those plans into fruition luckily <laughs> what made you shift from being an investor and just focusing on your own portfolio into this area well we all always kind of subscribed to the idea that we wanted multiple streams of income mm. um, rather than just multiple streams of property income, just diversifying that one kind of extra step. Mm. Um, so when kind of the Brexit vote hit, we were noticing some of our flips weren't achieving some of the margins that we were previously. And it just seemed a good time to start thinking about maybe shifting our focus um, to something slightly different. And We've used so many forms of finance ourselves uh, for our property ventures. Um, and we, we're also chartered accountants, myself and my wife. So we've got a good finance background. So the, the kind of property and finance um, experience put together just naturally led to the idea of launching a brokerage. So venture finance is a commercial finance brokerage. Um, and now I'd say the, our core focus is on the brokerage. We've built up a property portfolio, but the management of that is outsourced. So we just grow that organically and focus on the brokerage now and, and use our kind of track record and experience to, to help our clients where potentially other brokers can't as well. Well, that's it. Did you find that you were com- coming across some kind of roadblocks, stumbling blocks early on or some challenges with other brokerages? And, and that's why you kind of thought you could do a better job, I guess? Yeah, we've had mixed experiences with other brokers. I mean, don't get me wrong, I certainly have been in touch with with good brokers, um, ones that are quite experienced and not necessarily property investors themselves, but maybe got to where they are through their experience. Um, but I do think there is a difference between someone who has invested in property and had property dealings themselves and, and experiences those, those challenges. Um, and I think sometimes we've a case to a when we were purely doing property we'd put a case to a broker where potentially some time was wasted going to the wrong lenders mm. and maybe describing our circumstances in the wrong way potentially getting too far into an application um getting you know the footprint on our credit score mm. um but it probably didn't need to happen um because 
it wasn't quite right for that lender um, and that could have been ironed out earlier on. So I think that's, that's where we've had repeat business from, and referrals from our clients because um, they've experienced that potentially they've had similar experiences to what we had with other brokers um, and they're not experiencing that, you know, when they've come to us. Okay. And where does venture finance fit into uh, the sort of traditional market then? How does that yeah. compare? Yeah, so venture finance, we, I'd say there's two sides to the business. Um, there's the, the non-property side, which I like to call SMEs. So that's working with businesses across all, all sectors, all industry sectors. Um, and we offer products uh, such as, well, commercial mortgages for a premises, um, business loans, unsecured and secured, um, finance towards purchasing assets, so it could be IT equipment for an office, for example, or to help with working capital. So we have invoice finance facilities where you can borrow against um, your debtor book or stock finance facilities to help you purchase stock. So it really is all forms of business finance um, in the SME sector. But on the property side, um, our key focus is property development finance, um, bridging loans, um, we've, we've done some good portfolio facilities for landlords who aren't so highly leveraged on their portfolio, who want to grow their portfolio with, say, a buy refurbishment refinance model. Um, so they're using their equity uh, in their portfolio to, to create through a facility that we can arrange. Um, but then we also work on the exit as well. So um, if you're converting a property to a large HMO or to a multi-unit freehold building, so a block of flats, um, or serviced accommodation businesses. We, we can look at commercial finance or commercial mortgages uh, for the exit of those types of deals. But I would distinguish us, us from perhaps your standard, uh, well not standard, your everyday mortgage lender who can look at buy-to-let mortgages for you. Um, we, we, can, we can cover that, but I wouldn't say it's our focus. We, we look at the more kind of commercial arrangements where, where the lender's looking a bit more bespoke at your circumstances. And by commercial for people who are new to these ideas, it's not necessarily a commercial as in a, um, like the hairdressers on the high street. It's, can you just clarify the distinction? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. um, So we do do that. Um, For for SMEs, we will um, arrange commercial mortgages for their business premises. But um, in the property respect, um, I'm talking more along the lines of an H, something that is um, like a block of flats or, or multi-unit, multi-unit property, basically, um, where you might get a commercial valuation um, for, for your mortgage based on um, the, the, the profitability and the yield of that as a cash generating unit. Um, so, yeah, good examples would be blocks of flats, serviced accommodation um, buildings, uh, and HMOs, large okay. HMOs. Well, while we're on the subject, so the, the idea is that you you have the valuation not just on the bricks and mortar of what the building is, but also you take into account the rental income as a business model. Yeah, that's right. So, and how do you, you know, th- there has been a shift recently, hasn't there, you know, in the past couple of years from people who were used to getting those commercial valuations suddenly the criteria is a lot stricter and whereas you know they used to be able to to have that valuation based on the rental income purely now there's a lot more hoops to jump through for a hmo for example as i understand that you you know has to you can't look anything like a normal house it can't be converted back Mm -hmm. easily into a normal um, residential house it has to be functioning as a hmo the shower in the living room and that kind of thing um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and think, do you think that's it 
it's still going to that extreme are they still trying to kind of ease out those you know that criteria of people make it harder to get the commercial valuations yeah i think i think there's definitely been a shift in culture you, you hit the nail on the head there i think previously i think there was it was it was easier to just kind of have a, a, say a three-bed terraced house where you were you had a couple of bathrooms maybe um and and and, and there was appetite out there to, to 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 value that on a commercial valuation whereas the real reality of that is is that it still is a three-bed terraced um it still is the same as a property next door um, a home buyer could purchase that property. So if your bricks and mortar is coming out with a valuation of 85, 90,000 and your commercial valuation is coming out at 170 and the lender would give you a 120 mortgage on that, it's it's potentially putting you into negative equity. And it's, it's a good thing in a way that we've moved away from that because it's not... Um, it's it, it, it's high risk for both the lender and 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 the mortgage borrower. Um, but w- what we see now is a better balance, I'd say, where um, you might have a three bed terrace that's been converted to a five bed five ensuite HMO. Um, so it doesn't have any. Um, well, it might have a communal living room, but it doesn't have like a dining room, a living room. Um, it's got um, a kitchen with a potential communal space attached to it. Two of the receptions downstairs might have been converted to bedrooms with two ensuites. And the three bedrooms upstairs will all have an ensuite on them. Um, I think that definitely isn't the three bed terrace next door. That that is uh, a professionally created multi unit um, investment that is fit for purpose. And where you're creating that as a minimum, um, you, you can start to look at the commercial valuations. Um, and obviously, you know where the, the larger deals where you might be converting a pub to a ten bed HMO uh, under planning. Um, mm. That would, you know, naturally go towards a commercial valuation. Okay, and um, so thank, uh, I just wanted to—that was a good tangent to go off there. I think, yeah. oh, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's it's, a, it's topical. It's the type of conversation I think comes up again and again. So, do you think people are doing less of that by refurbishment finance? That that model is is becoming more outdated now because it's harder. I think, yeah, I think from the HMO perspective, I think. I think there's a few things. I think the, there's more areas which have an article four now, so it's harder to, to get to get the planning. I guess you, you don't have permitted development rights in as many areas to, to do the HMO model. Um, but where there isn't an article four, or you've managed to gain planning, um, it, it it can work as a very good model. Um, so I think that's po- possibly why we're seeing a little bit less uh, of that activity. Um, it's more towards the, the, the more units, I guess, which are harder to come by. But I think with single lets, um, people are certainly still following that model and it can work really well. So you might buy a property in the auction, significantly undervalued um, BMV, replace the kitchen, the bathroom, um, get a bit of TLC, um, and it becomes more mortgageable again. And it's it's the best, it's gone from the worst house on the street to the best house on the street. So um, I think that can work very well i think investors should bear in mind that it's not necessarily a given that you're going to recycle all your funds and i think a lot of people go into expecting that i think you'll get better than you know just buying a, a buy to let property where you've had to put a 25 percent deposit down you won't have to leave in as much as 25 percent. but i do think um you should account for the fact that you will be leaving in some funds and and really that probably is the safe thing to do on, an, on a portfolio ltv basis well, they're two very different models. What you just said there. So yeah. one, you're you know you're adding that value, and you're not in any way in negative equity. You've created equity from it. Whereas the other one, if you pull in all your money out, or maybe even more than 
you put in yeah and you know i it's to me it's always felt like a very dangerous game and thinking sort of longer term very easy to come unstuck with it yeah how how do you see that in terms of what people were doing five years ago do you think that that is going to create some issues in the coming don't know five ten years yeah I, i mean i think there's been certain areas in the country where perhaps too much of that has happened, um, the previous model, and, and the market's become a bit inundated and potentially there's been an oversupply of, of HMOs in those areas, um, which has meant tenanting rooms has become difficult, um, which has meant that some investors would want to sell up, but then it's difficult to sell an investment if it's not performing well, because any buyer um, is going to want to see a track record um, of, of kind of occupancy. So I think um, I think if you've got the, if, if you've got, Cash is king. If you've got funds to 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 to, to see through the hard times or to refinance on onto a lower LTV product, effectively putting in more more finance yourself, I think you can ride it through. But I do think there's there have been some investors that have been been a bit caught out uh, by over leveraging. Um, so I do, I do think it's a good thing that we've we're, we're kind of moving away from that um, because it's. Um, it's it's almost basing evaluation on something that doesn't exist um, if it's not really a proper HMO, if it's not really something that's different that has a separate market. Um, and I think that's the key thing here. If you, if you believe you could sell it um, at the value that you're that it's being valued at as a commercial valuation, well then that commercial valuation is correct. But if it can't actually be sold to another investor, mm. anything different to a three bed terrace next door, there's probably not much of a justifiable basis to to proceed like that. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, um, thank you for just going off on that tangent with you. I just think it's an area that people don't generally discuss. They, you know, yeah. we kind of go to the the seminars, the meetings, and we see these incredible deals and how how people have managed. Yeah. I suppose it's a bit like the, you know, hundred percent mortgages and and things that used to be, you know, buying so the sale and rent back things like that. So, I think, you know, you, you there's an opportunity at certain different points, and people take that opportunity to further yeah. their progress in their portfolio so um anyway so you know in terms of the you know what's been going on in the market tell us about how you've seen the shift so what was it like so obviously we had the brexit and uncertainty for a while building up then how did how did that change from the covid situation yeah i think since um since brexit i think I think in terms of lending, I don't think much changed over the Brexit period. I think what more changed was maybe those such as ourselves. We were undertaking a lot of flips before we launched the brokerage a good number of years ago. And when the Brexit vote came in, um, we we noticed some of our margins were, 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 weren't as, as good as we'd previously achieved. Um, they were always profitable, but um, we noticed that. So I think there was a change in the property market in certain areas of the country. Um, but with, but not so much on lending and commercial finance. But with um, with with the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, obviously it's been a huge change to everyone's lives. Um, uh, all workplaces have been shut down, social distancing. So you know, surveyors weren't going out, estate agents weren't open, um, even solicitors were, were were potentially difficult to to get hold of. So the property market was put on hold, sales and purchases and refinances were, were all kind of put on hold. And when for, for the products that were were about, we were looking at lower LTV. So where you might have had an, a seventy five percent loan to value product, you might have been looking at fifty five percent, sixty percent. 
Um, but already, even with the, the various, as we're, we're kind of running through the government stages of releasing the lockdown, we're already seeing um, those returns kind of pre-pandemic um, kind of criteria, I guess. So 75% um, known to value on, on a lot of um, commercial mortgages uh, we're seeing again. Um, surveyors are out and about again doing valuation, physical valuations. But we are seeing more due diligence by lenders. So whilst they may have raised the LTVs throughout the whole of the pandemic, due diligence is kind of paramount. And I think presenting a good business case is key. Um, and, ha and having a broker that can help you present that business case is also key. That's, that's I mean, we, we've sat on both sides of the table and like to think that we walk the walk. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we, 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 we can help you put, well, we, we, we help you put that business case together and just showing a good evidence of a track record. Um, so that can be evidence through your, your filed accounts, but your, your filed accounts won't go through uh, a deal by deal uh, financials. So if you have the financials for, for various property deals that you've undertaken and how they've been profitable, um, even before, you know, basic things like before, during and after photos, um, completion statements of any sales, it just kind of shows that you've got that track record, you've done it, um, and it just, creates the right impression with the lender when they're kind of in that mindset of we need to be really careful who we lend to at the moment and you just want to have that that kind of something that sets you apart a little bit mm, okay and uh obviously you know one of the big changes that's happened to help people is the government loans uh the bounce back loans and and you know the grants and things so um mm. i know do you, do you want to talk a bit about that because that's been yeah. an interesting time for businesses to kind of navigate their way through this oh definitely it's 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 been like nothing we've ever seen i think and i think that's why um governments around the world have, have struggled a little bit and not got it right every time um so with the with the uk government we've had the coronavirus business interruption loan um scheme which um is shortened to c-bills um, and that came out first before the bounce back loans and generally is um available to all business with a few exceptions, it's available to all, all SMEs from all sectors as long as they've got a turnover of less than 45 million and their, their, their business activities are, are mainly UK based. Um, but most kind of, a lot of, I think there's 40, 40 accredited lenders at the moment um, and of the high street lenders, the high street lenders were where people were going to initially because a lot of the lenders were only lending um, C-bills to existing customers. The problem was that the high streets were the first to accredit and then all their existing customers went to them and there was a huge backlog that they couldn't deal with and, and customers weren't even getting acknowledgements that they'd put an application in. And it's at a time when, when cash is king, people don't have cash, you know, it's, it's caught us all off guard um, and it really wasn't that helpful. So as time's gone on, there's been a few alternative lenders that we've been working with um, that have joined the scheme and we've found them to be a lot more responsive, uh, faster decisions, um, and, and it's been a real help to have that in addition to to the the, um, the high street banks. It hasn't been easy um, get, getting um, approvals through because I think a lot of people are looking at this as it's it's government help, which is true. Because the government are paying all, all, all the fees; they're they're um, providing an eighty percent guarantee. Um, they're, they're paying the interest for the first year. It's not a grant, but it is help. Um, and I think when people get a rejection, it's like, well, you know, I'm in need of help. I've been affected by COVID-19, which is one of the, the huge criteria to qualify. 
Um, but it is still lending and there is still criteria. And, you know, being able to service the debt after the first year um, and, and showing that you're profitable and that you weren't experiencing any difficulty as of the 31st of December, it, it's all those things put together have created, um, you know, uh, a bit of a trend of not as many people getting approvals as, as, as ideal. The bounce back loans have been a bit, bit different. And these are generally, you wouldn't ordinarily go to a broker for a bounce back loan. You just go directly to your bank. And on the people have had some bad experiences, but on the whole, I think people have been getting approvals. There's a bit more of a, of, of, of a thing around self-certifying. Um, so if you can self-certify that you've been affected by COVID-19, um, generally speaking, there aren't too many more questions around it. Um, so the bounce back loans, I think businesses have seen a lot more success with. Um, but I guess if you're, they only go up to £50,000. So if you're looking for um, more than that, because the, the, the Siebel's loans go up to 5 million, mm. uh, it, it has been difficult um, for, for certain for certain. Um, customers but we are working with alternative lenders and, and if we put forward a good business case you've got a better chance of um of being successful well five million that's yeah a lot a typical <laughs> loan right what are the repayments on that <laughs> oh completely completely but, but, but i mean the scheme is open to those up to a, a turnover of 45 million so it really is those those very large companies yeah, yeah. and a lot of SMEs, i guess wouldn't qualify for that but um, yeah. It's, it's about, you know, being able to use it, you know, to, to get out of this crisis and, and get us through it. And that's only a good thing for the economy and the government overall, isn't it? So Yeah. And, and do you think they are still, um, have, they, have they improved their process then? Was that what you're saying? So people yeah. can still go, because to me, it feels like, you know, um, it didn't really work and mm. sort of been sidelined. People who have been able to go on to the bounce back loan have got that happy and they've sort of forgotten about the Seabulls loan yeah so the it has improved and we are seeing just i mean just seeing decisions come through and acknowledgements come through is is, is a bit a good thing because initially that wasn't happening um but yeah it, things have improved um with, with the response um i guess it's about training staff within the banks you know to deal with the applications getting the processes up and running so you can you can understand why there was a bit of a delay um, but there have been things that have been there to help as well. So you can have, as long as it doesn't exceed 5 million, you can apply for as many Siebel's facilities as you want. Oh, really? Um, and if you want a Siebel, but you already have a bounce back, you'd have to re refinance your bounce back onto a Siebel. So you can't have both. Uh, okay. um, but at least that, that bounce back is there to get a quick decision. You really need money now. I've got that £50,000 loan or up to £50,000 loan. Now I'll go through the the more drawn out process of applying for a C bill. So, so, you know, little things like that have helped the process and have, have helped um, uh, businesses get through this without, you know, without the worst happening. Um, and, and as far as C bills goes, there's, it comes in different forms. So um, there, are four, there are four different classes of facility that, that are on offer. So term loans, so a normal business loan, um, asset finance, that would be to, to, to purchase assets. Like I was saying earlier, it could be IT equipment, it could be plant on a, uh, for a construction company um, and then invoice finance facilities which is kind of like a working capital facility where you can borrow against um, your debtor books so if you've got invoices of x amount you, you could borrow that say for, for a month in advance for example um, and then overdrafts as well so there are different types of facilities that suit different types of business I guess um, which which you know you can look at further in yeah. terms of a business case because obviously everything is so uncertain the idea of 
borrowing up to five million um you know <laughs> you know if it was a kind of something had happened and you can see that the next i don't know the next two months is definitely going to be out but after that we're going to be back up and running and it's just to kind of keep your head above water and um there's a kind of definite end there where you can see yeah. the business is going to come back and this is just going to keep you going keep you afloat during that time mm. fine but the idea of borrowing when everything is so uncertain on the other time yeah. on the other side what like how, how do you see that's going to pan out and, and i think that's potentially why that lenders are being strict because the loans need to be paid back mm. um you can choose but i think what makes it a bit easier you can choose between two and five year terms so five million pounds might sound like a lot which is a lot um, but if you can repay that over five years, um, then that makes it a bit easier. So I think it is, it is it's viewed as long-term help. It's the, pan, the kind of what we experience at the moment, the, the, the lockdown where we can't even conduct business, that's more of a short-term thing, but the government is recognising it. It's going to have an effect on business for, for, for a good amount of time. So, you know, five years is half a decade in which you've got to repay that loan. And I guess if businesses really were struggling, we might see other government schemes and initiatives coming out. Um, but as it stands, I think if the government, if, if the lender can see that you've got uh, a good business, if it was a good business before this hit, um, things will return to normal um, afterwards. We might, we might experience a recession, that's up for a separate debate, I guess. Um, but things will return to normal and these loans are there to help. And you've got 12 months where you don't have to pay any interest. The government will pay that interest on your behalf. So um, it's kind of that, that liquidity is all there for 12 months. Um, so I do think that um, it has been thought through in that way. Um, and it has been designed in a way that will help businesses and won't put businesses in trouble. And I think the way they're assessing it is, is generally in, in the right way. Okay. So you sound pretty confident that, on the other side of this when things start opening up that you know the, the businesses are going to be able to operate like they were before um oh that's that's a tough one isn't it um it's really yeah but i think um after the pandemic is behind us i think in some ways life will probably change forever won't it i think social distancing is a new thing that's probably going to be imprinted in all, all of us. I mean, people even talk about whether we'll be shaking hands in the future. Um, and that's just, that's been a culture for God knows how long. Um, I think, I think it could, even amongst economists, there's not necessarily a consensus of what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. there's this talk of a V-shaped recovery. So, which almost means not instant, but very quick recovery. You know, we go, we go down very quickly, but then we recover fast. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also a lot of talk around a, a, a more a more kind of prolonged recovery, which um, will involve a, a recession, you know, a recession for, for some time maybe. The extent of all, all these theories is, is up for discussion, I guess. And I think in terms of property, um, I think the, the changes we'll see uh, maybe more social distancing measures with um, with valuations, for example. And, and with estate agents doing viewings, I think maybe we won't see as many open houses. Um, so I think things like that might slow things down, might slow activity down, transaction, you know, how long a transaction may take. Um, but I guess, you know, as long as we adapt to the change, I think, I, I don't think there's, there's anything too much to worry about there. I think the government have been quite um, sensible in how they've reacted. I mean, what we've got to remember is that it's not a financial crisis like it was in 2008. It's, it's, it's something very different. Um, and their 
embarking on quantitative easing in the same way that we did back in 2008. And that's pumping a lot into the economy. Um, and as long as that flows to the right places, I think you can avoid um, uh, a depression, which is what a lot of people are talking well, about. Yeah, I was going to say, but so in terms of like, obviously, you've said some people are predicting this V-shape, other people on the other side of the scale, you know, full out depression, the worst we've ever seen in the history of mankind. Um, how will we know? What are the the early indicators? Like, let's say, for example, the property market. What do you what are you looking out for to determine how extreme this is going to go? Yeah, well, I think um, it, it, it is a difficult one, and there are few indicators. And, and property is one of those things that it takes a while to react. It's not like the stock market that's mm -hmm. instantaneous, and even just land registry records, we have to wait three months, don't we, to to, to even see the impact of something. But the the things that we can see at the moment is estate estate agents from the front line of the property industry, and they're and they're um, they're talking about depending on where you are in the country, but there's a lot of talk of um, of a lot of interest from buyers and they've not been as cautious as pe perhaps they were in 2008 where people were were kind of off offering very low um, not willing to, to to offer what they might have six months before and they're certainly I, I, I it just feels like at the moment there's not really been much of an impact but it's it's too early to say and it's with anything it's it's about confidence isn't it if the confidence is out there um, the impact isn't going to be as great because we don't have a financial crisis. Property is, is all about leverage. If the leverage is there, the financial leverage, um, the only thing that can really affect prices is a lack of confidence um, because people are able to borrow. Um, so it's very different to the 2008 crisis. So it's very difficult to say how we're going to be impacted. Um, there's, there's, there's talk of, oh, people haven't been going out, so, you know, they've been saving money and, you know, there's, there's all this extra money in the economy, but at the same time, there's been a lot of people that have been suffering. Um, um, people haven't been going out, but they wouldn't have been able to go out even if we'd been able to, because, you know, if, you, if you're on the furlough scheme, you're, you're on 80% of what you, you would have been earning. And if, if you own a business, you might have been earning nothing. So mm. it's really difficult to know what the impact would be, but I do think the government have responded in a good way with the, with, with the various measures. And I think it, it may be enough to, to avoid the, the big depression that people talk about. It's probably going to be something in between the depression and the V-shape recovery is, is probably what I'd say. Okay. And um, what about, do you, do you think that there have been people who've fallen through the cracks in terms of what they've been allowed to access, what they've been able to access in terms of the business loans and, um, I'm thinking particularly people who are either freelancers, they, they, you know, working for themselves on a zero hour contract. So I'm not sure how these things work, but yeah. there seems to be a certain people with who've just not been able to access mm. the, you know, the help that's been available for others more easily. Yeah, I think um, I think the self-employed was a was a big one, wasn't it? Um, because many self-employed people pay themselves minimum salary. Um, and then um, the remainder being paid by dividend because it's tax efficient to do so. And I think the government have focused on salaries. So you, you can qualify for 80% of, uh, of your salary, which might not be very much if you're, if you're paying yourself. So I think, yeah, people have slipped through the cracks, I think, a little bit. Um, I think some of those who have, have looked to get bounce back loans and, and, and C-bills facilities and things like that, um, so, so it is difficult, and, and those are the people I was talking about. You know, that mm -hmm. it, it's it's business owners um, that business owners where where 
really you're a contractor you know you're working for yourself you're not a big business that might get a big grant because there have been grants available but that's generally available to those who who pay business rates for example so i do think people have slipped through the cracks um but there's been other measures that have been you know put in place to, to help so mortgage holidays has been something that that has helped people there's been a lot of talk around should you take your mortgage holiday shouldn't you take your mortgage holiday i think my advice to people has generally been if you've been affected by the pandemic and by by covid19 and um, financially and it's going to help you to, to to get out of that i think you should seriously consider taking the mortgage holiday um, but don't just take it as a, if, if you're fine, <laughs> don't just take it as an excuse to, to effectively increase your, your profits on your portfolio or I think take it, it, it's there for people that need it. And I think, I think that's the key message. Mm, okay. And how do you think, so you say, you know, in some ways things are going to change like longer term because of everything that's happened. Do you think there's going to be any big changes in the property market? in i'm thinking for example if these flips either aren't going to stack up anymore because the mm -hmm. confidence isn't there on the end value does that mean the you know the value of those properties falls mm -hmm. uh, are people moving away from flips yeah what? flips flips is a difficult one because you're creating something generally speaking you're creating something that is the best of its type so you're often asking for a new price um, isn't hasn't always been achieved before and it takes the right buyer um, to offer that price um, and if that buyer is a cash buyer it almost doesn't matter because if it's like I want to live in that area and I want a house like that and I'm willing to pay it because I'm gonna live there for 20 years um, but you could have a mortgage buyer with the same outlook but if they require a mortgage and the, and the valuations are going to come in mm. then there's a problem and, and I think in the in the short term potentially Surveyors may be a bit more cautious. We've not, I wouldn't say we've seen it just yet, but it's very early days. So where surveyors are cautious, we may see down valuations and, and, and then you're just, you're basically looking for those buyers that have got a little bit of cash to, to make up the difference or, or purely cash buyers. Um, but looking a little bit more long-term, there's, there's talk of what the impact on the property market nationwide might be. I mean, historically we've had a huge focus of, of, uh, of, of the high value properties being in, in the southeast in London, um, there's talk of um, huge companies um, not asking people to go back to work, a new work from home culture um, where people could start to think, oh, why, why do I want to live in London um, where I could get more space up north for, for a lot less price, for example, or the Midlands or just within the, the home counties. So I think as a long term trend, we may see. If, if the work from home culture continues and we may see people living, you know, a migration to different parts of the country, which could create more demand in those areas where property prices may go up. So it's interesting times. It's, it's, it's a pivotal time in terms of how it might impact wider things. But in terms of the time scales or something like that, I don't know. It could be more than a decade. It could be two yeah. decades. I don't know. But I do think there could be a change in the working practices and, and less of a need to focus on the southeast. Yeah. well it's food for thought anyway isn't it it's uh, just interesting to think about who knows who knows um okay it's, that seems like a good place to wrap up any final thoughts you want to share with the audience and um how can they find out more about you and, and what you're up to yeah. i think i'd just like to assure listeners that whilst policies 
uh, for lenders have changed and, and the climate has changed, um, commercial finance is still very much available. Um, we also, you know, as, as we've been discussing, we've got the C-bills facilities as well. So if you're in need for, 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 a finance, for, for finance for, for any upcoming ventures or you're in need for finance assistance because you've been affected by, by COVID, we, we can help. So welcome to, to, to get in touch with me. We offer free, free initial consultations to talk through your circumstances to all, to all new and existing customers. So um, I can give my number. My, my number is 07967. 679786 and my email is kiran k-i-r-a-n at venturefinanceuk.com so welcome to get in touch with me um and we can talk things through fantastic well i'll put your details in the show notes as well so people can find you there and uh, appreciate your time to talk it through with us so uh, it's been really interesting Great. Yeah. And thanks for having me, Michelle. That's been great. Cheers. Brilliant. Okay. Um, for people who are listening, if you would like a free copy of our magazine, then please click the link in the show notes as well to get your free magazine. And that's all for today. So uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.